This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. They could have easily evolved to whatever the trends were because it was in their DNA to begin with. It was when they started to chase shiny objects and try to be something that they were not that they began to falter. Welcome to episode 59 of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails. What led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies. I am your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at Revlon. In the era preceding the 1960s, beauty and makeup was a functionality that had one sole purpose, to capture the gaze of men. Cosmetics has been around as long as civilization, used to signify social status and even divinity. It was so hard to buy at one point that women instead pinched their cheeks and stained their lips with flower petals to add color. Because after all, Advertisements reminded them that it was the duty of women to be beautiful, not only to keep their men faithful, but to get the most desirable jobs in the office. And then a few things changed. Mirrors and interior lighting technology improved dramatically, allowing people for the first time to get a clear look at their own faces, giving rise to a new kind of self-awareness. A dramatic turn from when women adorned themselves for the pursuit of male admiration. Then came 1952 when a paradigm-shifting campaign known as Fire and Ice was introduced to the world. It was a two-page spread featuring Dorian Lee, an engineer-turned-it-girl model. She wore a body-hugging silver sequin dress with a dramatic red cape hanging from her arms, highlighting her matching cherry lips and nails. The look was elegant yet subtly fierce, and on its facing page was a questionnaire constructed to help women discern whether they were either naughty or nice, fire or ice. It posed questions like, have you danced with your shoes off? Do you blush when you're flirting? Would you streak your hair platinum without asking your husband? Have you ever wanted to wear an ankle bracelet? And women everywhere loved it. 
It was the first time an ad put women's feelings front and center, and what they wanted mattered, and it allowed them to dream and envision a world beyond the confines of societal expectations, to embrace their sensuality and embark on daring adventures, and immerse themselves in the allure of both romance and danger, the intricate dichotomies converging and ushering in a new reality. This campaign created a transformative shift in advertising and personal reasons why women wore makeup. And the company responsible for this movement was none other than Revlon. Welcome to the story of Revlon. Pioneering feminism since 1895, creamed by 2022. We asked some of our listeners to share their memories of Revlon. Back in the 90s, I think every girl had a lipstick called Rum Raisin in their backpack, and it was the it color for many years. I used to love Revlon for this one lipstick color that they had. It was this deep red in a green tube. I mean, I saw magazines with Cindy Crawford, Halle Berry, all using that color. And I think every girl wanted to have that dark purplish brown color on their lips. I did used to use one of their cream eyeshadow quads. I think the shades were called Moonlit Jewels. And there was a gold and like a red, a green and a blue, I think. That palette always felt really special to me. It sort of felt luxurious in the way that I think Revlon intends a lot of their products to feel. I also loved Revlon for its big fat curling iron that I still can't find today that is comparable. It was the big fat one and it was super, super hot. It would like curl your hair in about five seconds and it was perfect. You know, I, I look back in those times and I'm like, wow, <laughs> that was pretty bold. There are only a handful of makeup companies that have the element of nostalgia that can bring you back to your adolescent years, a time when you were experimenting with different color palettes and figuring out who you were. That freedom of expression with your makeup, enhancing your beauty or just having fun. In those years, Revlon was a trusty sidekick, always dependable and conveniently waiting on drugstore shelves alongside CoverGirl and Maybelline. With my fierce Lee press-on nails in tow, there was no stopping this teenager in the 80s. Today, however, I would be surprised to see anyone using the brands that I kept in my caboodle. And though some have survived the past decades, their fanfare has been eclipsed by some more formidable contenders, companies like MAC, NARS, Benefit, and celebrity brands like Kylie Cosmetics and Rihanna's Fenty have gobbled up big chunks of the market share that Revlon held so comfortably for many years. But this isn't just an episode about cosmetics. It's about a brand that pioneered an era that made a series of questionable business decisions that eventually left an indelible blemish upon a once radiant reputation. (laughs) 
Revlon was founded in 1932 in the midst of the Great Depression by brothers Joseph and Charles Revson and their buddy, chemist Charles Lackman. Lackman, who contributed to the L in the Revlon name, was believed to be the main force behind the idea, given that he provided the chemical analysis for their first product, the nail enamel. They used pigments instead of dyes to create a whole variety of new shades, including a red varnish, when at the time, the only shades available were clear and pale pink. And it became an instant success. So much that within five years, they were a multi-million dollar company selling their nail polishes in all the major department stores and pharmacies. By 1940, Revlon added lipstick to its collection. This product expansion was a hit, and Charles Revson had an iconic stroke of genius when at a restaurant, he noticed a woman whose lips and nail polish did not match. This inspired his next campaign, which promised women, quote, matching lips and fingertips, forging new frontiers in the world of cosmetics. Revlon also created makeup and related products for the United States Army, which, as you can imagine, propelled their image to a sort of embodiment of the all-American brand. By the end of World War II, Revlon was the number two cosmetic producer in the world and sold to 150 countries. And for the next three and a half decades, they reigned supreme as the modern feminist brand. They were able to maintain their prestige not only because of their high-quality products, but because they understood what women wanted and they were able to deliver it in an ingenious way through ad campaigns that pushed boundaries. Like the Fire and Ice campaign in the 1950s that was daring and dazzling. Here's Robin Albin, founder of Insurgents, a branding agency in New York City. Robin comes from the beauty business and worked with Revlon when it launched its Charlie brand. I think that it was the daringness of Charles Revson. He was a pioneer in terms of women's empowerment. I mean, when you think about, you know, do you dare to dance with fire? Do you dare to skate on ice? I mean, it was just, it was just so overwhelmingly glamorous and gutsy and brash and out there, there was nothing timid about being a Revlon woman. And even the the genesis of Charlie, I mean, Charlie was like this striding young woman and everybody wanted to be the Charlie girl. I remember I went out and bought a Charlie pantsuit so that I could be Charlie. And, you know, it was just, it was totally dazzling at the time. Revlon expanded its invitation to feel more beautiful to more people than its competitors did. It was the first beauty company to feature a black model when it hired Naomi Sims in the 1970s. Soon after, they released a line of cosmetics specifically for women of color. And later, they featured models of a wider age range than most other cosmetics ads. Revson sold the company's, quote, hope in a jar to women all over the world with campaigns and empowered them to take charge of their own glamour. That no-nonsense edge also became the embodiment of their Charlie by Revlon fragrance, the androgynous name that signified carefree independence meshing femininity with masculinity. The product reflected Revlon's core branding and its DNA, and it was the first time a perfume was marketed to women as a gift they could buy for themselves rather than something that a man bought for a woman. 
That was the epitome of what Charlie stood for. Striding on the street in a pantsuit because women didn't necessarily wear pantsuits at this time. This was, I don't know, late 70s, beginning of the 80s. It was just really when women's empowerment was taken off. You know, Gloria Steinem. But the Charlie girl, she was joyful. She was confident. She was fabulous and not intimidating. You know, she had it all together. And through each one of the vignettes that she strode through in multiple commercials over the course of Charlie's life, she was very approachable and human, but had this wonderful air of confidence that was just irresistible. Revlon embodied a cultural zeitgeist infused with the essence of feminism, empowerment, and self-expression. And it worked. Revlon's net sales figures were $506 million in 1973 and $606 million the following year. And then it did it again to the beauty and fashion industry in the 1980s with a supermodel campaign featuring the likes of Iman, Claudia Schiffer, Cindy Crawford, and Christy Turlington in their most unforgettable Women in the World campaign, which asked consumers, what does make a woman unforgettable? Revlon was such an incredible pioneer in the women's space. I mean, one of the most famous campaigns was the most unforgettable women in the world that had all of the top models and was the first brand to have an African-American model, you know, Naomi Sims. And that was very, very early. It just was so aspirational. In February 1996, Revlon IPO'd on the New York Stock Exchange at a price of $24 per share. But even the most perfect makeup couldn't conceal the cracks beginning to form in the foundation. 
In the beginning of the 1970s, Revlon embarked on a vast expansion, diversifying into pharmaceuticals and other sectors. And this included products like Eterna 27, a pioneering estrogen cosmetic cream, and a range of other offerings such as a diabetic drug, a line of wig maintenance products called Wig Wonder, an array of deodorants, shampoos, and conditioners. While mirroring the trajectory of industry giants like Procter & Gamble, Revlon's acquisition spree in the pharmaceutical space failed to shield it from growing competitions of emerging companies like Estee Lauder, Max Factor, and CoverGirl. One anecdote, I remember as this baby copywriter going in this car to the Bronx lab with the head of R&D, an older gentleman called Earl Brower. And he said to me, you have to remember one thing above all else. We're not selling frying pans. Beauty is very, very intimate. And, you know, later, later on, I felt like we were selling frying pans. You know, it could have been just anything. It was became a numbers game. 92% fewer lines. You know, it just, it lost the magic. The magic was so incredible. Some of those franchises that I spoke about were either diminished to the point that they were discontinued, things like Etheria and eventually Ultima, and it became just basic Revlon. And once it was basic Revlon, you know, it became truly a a mass brand that was just selling product. You know, I think there's a big difference between selling the dream and selling the hope in the jar and selling a lipstick with multiple shades and whatever. I mean, eight-hour wear, kiss-proof lipstick. You know, it became frying pans. You know, it, it lost that sense of magic about it. At one point, Revlon had about 3,000 diverse products on the market, but the company struggled with the challenge of addressing the change in consumer habits. By November 1985, burdened with an immense debt load of $2.9 billion, Revlon found itself shackled by the weight of financial obligations that would drag the company down for years to come. Though the company was founded with incredibly strong leadership, that strength wasn't maintained in its successors throughout the years, ultimately contributing to the company's decline. Following the passing of founder Charles Revson in 1975, the company appointed Michael Bergerac as president. He continued the expansion of the company's holdings. Here's Robin again describing her experience working at Revlon before the management turnover. Charles Revson had just passed and Michelle Bergerac had just taken over. He was formerly ITT. And one of the things that was most dramatic was the instant change in the attitude. You know, I started working. It was so magical when you got into the elevator bank and went up to the 50th floor in what was called at the time the General Odors Building, because not only was Revlon in there, Helena Rubinstein and, of course, Estee Lauder were in that building. So the entire building was the big beauty business at the time. And it was very, very magical working. The doors opened on the 50th floor, and you could just feel the snap, crackle, pop, the glamour of working at Revlon at the time. 
Revlon survived a hostile takeover from billionaire investor and banker Ron Perelman, who took over in 1985. Revlon still saw a revolving door of CEOs until his daughter, Deborah Perelman, assumed the role in 2018. She was the first woman at Revlon to take the helm. It was hard to hold on to the magic when frequent changes in leadership and the lack of stable management created a corporate culture devoid of any real accountability. Gone was the innovative vision that was fundamental to the company's earlier success, and this hindered the company's growth, impeding progress, compounding Revlon's existing financial struggles and ongoing challenges. And soon there would be other shades of uncertainty to cast a shadow on this beauty empire. 2010 brought changes in the beauty industry in several ways. For one, it celebrated more diversity and individuality. Two, once reliant on the council of beauty advisors at department stores, women were now on their personal voyages into the world of makeup, empowered by YouTube tutorials and the advent of the influencer age. This was also a time when the overall trends of makeup moved away from bright colors like red lipstick to more muted tones. I think towards the 90s when the Macs came into being and the Bobby Browns and there were a lot of upstart niche brands that the makeup artist brands that started to be launched in the in the 90s and you know Revlon just never kept up and I'm not saying that they needed to buy all of these other brands they sort of had the permission to lead those trends I'm a big believer in brand and I hate to see a rebrand gone wrong They didn't need to rebrand, they needed to stick to their knitting, and their knitting was very much an understanding of what makes a woman beautiful and what makes a woman desirable. And they could have evolved, I believe, this is purely me being a beauty Pollyanna, I believe that they could have easily have evolved to match whatever the trends were because it was in their DNA to begin with. It was when they started to chase shiny objects and try to be something that they were not that I felt that they began to falter. Revlon found itself lagging behind in adapting to the evolving palette. And its competitors like Procter & Gamble just continued to grow while new competitors entered the industry. Take, for example, celebrity-backed brands like Kylie Jenner's, which launched in 2014 and harnessed the power of social media to gain a massive following. Suddenly, brands like Revlon were seen as conservative, dated, out of touch. Your mom's makeup brand of choice. There were a gazillion things that have happened in the beauty space. Celebrity brands obviously started to encroach on Revlon, who was known for celebrities. And, you know, many of those celebrity brands were here today, gone tomorrow. Though many of them were Me Too type brands where they celebrities slapped their names on product and they didn't really have the R&D wherewithal to create incredible products. So there was a little of that happening. Then there was the whole makeup, as I said, the makeup artist trend between the, the MAC and the NARS and Bobby Brown, those became the superstar. Those were celebrity brands. Those were the influencer brands in the 90s. And, you know, 
since then, there have been a million other trends, clean and natural and, you know, all the other trends that happened. But Revlon was in all of those spaces. They could have continued. They had natural wonder at a time when natural was pretty appealing to a, a huge segment of the young populace. They just didn't stick to their knitting. The train went off the tracks. And Revlon didn't do a lot to break out of this perception. They failed to utilize the power of social media the way that celebrity brands leveraged their fan bases. Whereas Kali Cosmetics, with its near 26 million Instagram followers, and Rihanna's Fenty Beauty, with its marketing efforts on TikTok to capture impulse spending from shoppers. Revlon was nowhere close to being a tastemaker. By 2020, when the world experienced unprecedented times with the worldwide pandemic, it further exacerbated its weaknesses. Sales fell 21% to $1.9 billion that year with the shift from office to work from home mandates when women ditched their makeup bag altogether. In addition to the increased production costs due to the supply chain crisis, the pandemic's labor shortages slowed manufacturing, resulting in late product shipments and fines from retailers, as well as mismanaged inventory and failed forecasting. Suppliers no longer ponied up to ship raw materials without payment upfront, and that further added to the logistical burden that the company was experiencing. And if things couldn't have gone more haywire, something even more unprecedented than a worldwide pandemic occurred. In August of 2020, Citibank wrongfully wired $900 million to creditors of Revlon. Revlon's loan agent meant to send about $8 million in interest payments to the cosmetic company's lenders, but instead accidentally sent over a hundred times that amount. Only 400 million was returned back to the bank, which meant 500 million was never seen again. And this truly just demonstrated how mismanaged everything was. Unfortunately, the law was not on Revlon or City's side when the judge ruled that transfers were, quote, final and complete transactions, not subject to revocation. And like a twist of the knife, he stated that. Quote, to believe that Citibank, one of the most sophisticated financial institutions in the world, had made a mistake that never happened before to the tune of nearly $1 billion would have been borderline irrational. On June 16, 2022, Revlon filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. In the face of mounting debt, intensifying competition, intricate supply chain hurdles, and a failure to embrace evolving beauty trends, Revlon fell behind. A few hours after the bankruptcy announcements, its share lost more than 13% of their value. And according to a filing with the U.S. Bankruptcy Court for the Southern District of New York, Revlon listed assets and liabilities between $1 billion to $10 billion. The business of fashion confirmed that its annual interest expense was nearly $248 million in just one year alone. So what were the lessons? A brand is a brand is a brand. And if you have your brand and you have your brand deeply 
etched in the consumer's mind. You can evolve, you should be able to evolve, but you should never abandon ship. The great brands that have been around for a gazillion years just keep chugging along because they stick to their brand. Think about a Nike, think about Apple. Those are brands that have withstood the test of time because they stick to who they are. Think different, Apple. Just do it, Nike. They have new athletes, Nike. They have new commitments, but they are who they are and they stick to who you are. And I think that's the great mistake. I do a lot of teaching and teach a lot of college and uh, master's classes and I tell them the same thing all the time. Develop your brand early, stick to your brand, and if you do it well and right and it has a meaning and a depth to it, it can grow and evolve. You don't have to change it to be something that it's not. And that's a little bit of what Revlon did. It's almost poetic injustice that after decades of pioneering women empowerment through cosmetics and creativity, Revlon itself couldn't escape the old adage that everyone tries so desperately to avoid. And that is that even the most enchanting beauty succumbs to time's embrace. Special thanks to Robin Albin, founder of Branding Agency Insurgents, for her contributions to this episode and sharing her experience working with the iconic Revlon. And thank you for tuning in this week to The Great Fail, a program that spotlights some of the most infamous case studies of failed businesses, brands, and ideas, and goes beyond that to garner lessons and wisdom so that we all can learn from the greatest mistakes. The Great Fail is part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcast. The research on each episode is extensive, but none of these episodes would be possible without the tireless efforts of researchers, writers, and reporters. They are all credited on thegreatfail.com under our show notes. Connect with us at The Great Fail on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast so that we can continue bringing you more episodes. And remember, with great failure comes great liability. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.